This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Spiritual worlds. So Chredo is referring to, remember us for life is referring to the soul, the spiritual worlds. And Korveno is referring to the physical worlds. So we are asking God, we're pleading with God, give us a good life on both planes, in the spiritual worlds, in the spirituality. Our souls should be nourished and our souls should be healthy. And also the physical plane, we need also a good life physical in the physical plane as well. So Zohreinu is remembering, is referring to the soul and the higher spiritual worlds. And Kodvenu is referring to the physical body and the physical world. So Bez Rashi would have a good year in, in both planes. would have a good year on the spiritual angle and a good year also the physical angle as well. All of us and all of God Israel, Amen. So the Torah says it's a day of blowing. It's a very strange mitzvah if you think about it, that the mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah is to blow shofar. In fact, there are certain groups of Jews who spend their whole day blowing shofar. That's, that's their mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah, blow the shofar, blow it many times. You know, the minhag is, as far as we blow 101 times, uh, the gematria of Michael. Michael is reputedly the angel of Israel. So we blow the gematria of Michael, which is 101. Ashkenazim blow 100 blows. But uh, the, some people blow all day long. They keep on blowing until they're exhausted. Why? Because the mitzvah of the day of Rosh Hashanah is to hear the shofar. To, to, some people say it's the mitzvah is to blow the shofar. But Rosh Hashanah is one of the Jewish New Years. We know the Mishnah tells us in, in uh, Rosh Hashanah there are four New Years. I just want to focus on two of our New Years. Jews live in two planes, as we said, the physical plane and the spiritual plane. And uh, there's two aspects of Judaism, which is the international aspect of Judaism. And then there's the national aspect of Judaism. There's the fact that we... ...living on the plane world. Roshana is uh, that we're all part of this, this world. And this is based on what the Nitziv of Velazhen says. The Nitziv of Velazhen says, Tishrei marks the creation of the world at large. It doesn't mark the creation of man as a Jew. It marks the creation of the world. It's an international holiday. Tishrei, people don't know it, but it's the international holiday of the new year for the whole world, for the, all human beings. And in fact, the Mishnah says in Rosh Hashanah that the whole world is judged. It's not just the Jewish people who are judged. It's not the Jews who are judged, it's the whole world is judged. What will the next year bring? Everything is decided on Rosh Hashanah. The whole world is judged. Not just Jews, but everyone in the world is judged on Rosh Hashanah. And therefore Tishrei marks the creation of the world at large. And the man in particular. All the laws of nature, physics, biology, chemistry, the like, were established by God during the creation of the world on Tishrei. Whereas Nisan which is the other new year, one of the other new years. Nisan, on the other hand, marks the beginning of Jewish history, where we came out of Egypt, our formation of a nation. So the Nativ of Elijah explains that we live, Jewish Jews live in the two worlds. We live in the world of Tishrei, and we live in the world of Nisan. What does that mean? We live on an international level. We're living in the world as subjects of the world, where we're human beings like any other human being. We're living as human beings in the world. And that is Tishrei. Tishrei marks the beginning of the world and Adam was the forerunner of all human beings. So we're living in the world, in the world of Tishrei, which is international. We're part of the world, we're part, we're beings, we're human beings like anyone else, we're part of the world. Whereas the, world, the month of Nisan heralds the start of a whole new section, which is the section of 
Judaism. We live as Jews. The start of Judaism is Pesach. That's the first time where we live as uh, Jews, a unique people with a special mission, often at odds with the world opinion. And we have to be prepared to live on both sides as part of the whole world. We have to do our bit as part of the world. That's Tishrei. And also we have to do our bit as Jews, which is Nisan. So Rosh Hashanah is interesting because it's celebrating Tishrei, not Nisan. So Rosh Hashanah is a celebration, is a holiday for all mankind. Unfortunately, mankind doesn't know about it, but we are celebrating for all mankind the creation of the world. And uh, the, the whole world, the entire world, Jew, non-Jew, everyone is judged on Rosh Hashanah. And that's why the Zichronot, if you look at the Zichronot in the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah, the three special sections of prayers, the Zichronot, the remembrances that God remembers. And one of the first remembrances is the story of Noah. Hashem remembered Noah in the Teva. So we see that it's not talking about Jews. Noah was not Jewish. Rosh Hashanah is referring to all the nations of the world. It's the day of judgment for all the nations of the world. It's referring to the father of man. It's interesting, which is Adam. Hayom harat olam. Today the world was created. Not the Jewish people, but the world, Adam, the, the founder of humanity was created. And also Noah, the second founder of humanity, was, was also saved on that day as well. So it's a universal theme. Rosh Hashanah is, has a universal theme, whereas Pesach is the holiday of, it's a Jewish holiday. It's our national birth holiday. So it's interesting, we, we're living on two planes. We're living on the international plane as human beings. That's Tishrei, that's Rosh Hashanah. And we're living on the, the plane, the spiritual plane of as being as Jews, as being proud Jews. And sometimes these two things, um, as we see sometimes in the United Nations, these two things come at head, head to head, uh, that uh, the international community does not welcome Jews and we want to live on an international plane as well. We're not recognized. So sometimes the two, unfortunately, uh, coalesce and sometimes the two uh, create uh, havoc between them. So it's interesting, the fact that the Seventh made Teshuvah, the 10 days of repentance, begins during Tishrei, not Nisan, indicates that the focus of these days must be to make us better people. So it's, it's an international holiday. Rosh Hashanah is not a national holiday, as I said. Rosh Hashanah is an international holiday. It's an, an holiday for humanity in general. Unfortunately, they don't know about it, but we do know about it. And therefore, we have to celebrate Rosh Hashanah as to become better human beings, not better Jews only, but better human beings as human beings. And what does that mean? That means derech eretz. That means uh, treating every person uh, with derech eretz, with, uh, with tact and with favor and with a happy face. Accept every person with a happy countenance. So that is uh, Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is Tishrei. Tishrei is an international holiday, not just being better Jews, but being a better person. And before we can be better Jews, We've got to start from being better people. So being a good Jew is keeping the mitzvot. But before, it's interesting, the Talmud says, Derech Eretz Kadmale Torah. Derech Eretz, this idea of being a mensch, of being a, a, a good human being, came before the Torah was given. What does that mean? That means the, the Torah is given 26 generations after the creation. There were 10 generations between Adam and Noah. There are 10 generations between Noah and Abraham, and there were six generations between, Noah, between Abraham and Moshe. And there are 26 generations, there was no Torah. So how do people know how to behave? So the Talmud says, Midrash says, we learn Derech Eretz from the animals. 
cleanliness from the cat, faithfulness from the dog, and so on and so forth. Hard, hard work from the ant, and so on and so forth. So the first thing we have to do, Rosh Hashanah is really celebration of international humankind. And therefore, the first thing we have to do is be good human beings. That's number one. Prerequisite to being a good Jew is to be a good, decent human being. And unfortunately, sometimes it's dichotomy. Some people are good Jews, but not good human beings. Some people are good human beings, not good Jews. But that's the difference between Tishrei and Nisan. Nisan is the birth of Judaism, and Tishrei is the birth of human, humankind. So Tishrei is not just to be a good Jew, but also be a better person. Being a better person is a prerequisite to being a good Jew. And it's interesting because yeah, becoming a good Jew is much easier today than ever before in history. It's much easier today to keep kosher. It's much easier today, except for Corona, to go to the mikvah. It's much easier today to keep Shabbat. It's uh, legislation. And we're protected by legislation. The person is a Sabbath observer. They cannot be thrown out from their job. The Torah is available in all languages, all media. It's amazing today. You can possibly learn Torah. It's so easy. So exactly what we just read in our parasha, that this mitzvah which I gave you, is a big debate, what mitzvah did God give us? Uh, but the, most people say it's the mitzvah of learning Torah. It's not across the sea. It's not in the heavens. It's, it's right in your mouth to be able to do. It's so close to us. All you, the person that needs to do is click on one of the links. There's so many links of Torah today. The person clicks on a link and they get Torah wherever they are in the world. It's amazing. So it's much more difficult to be a better person, which in Hebrew is a ben adam. It's, it's much more, it's interesting because this is the birthday, we're coming to the birthday of Adam Rishon. And what the focus of Rosh Hashanah is to be a ben adam, to be a good person, to be a good human being, to treat others with respect, to control our temper, to compete fairly, to speak appropriately. Uh, which is interesting. So that's Rosh Hashanah is an international holiday. It's an international day of introspection to becoming a better human being. It's very important to focus on becoming a better human being. What is a better human being? The Ramam tells us in Hot Teshuvah, in chapter 7 of Hot Teshuvah, he says the sins that are most difficult to overcome, the flaws on which we have to focus our repentance on, are those of character, character traits. He doesn't talk about mitzvah, he talks about character traits. The hardest thing to change is one's own character. The Vildegon says, in a very powerful small book, I really recommend this book. This is one of my favorite books. It's called Even Shlema, A Perfect Stone. I don't know why he called it a perfect stone. Even Shlema, again in Hebrew and English, Even Shlema by the Vildegon. Over there he says that the whole purpose of a person in this world, the reason why they're created, is to perfect their character traits. Because a human being is, what is the definition of a human being? Human being is a sum total of their character traits. We are sum totals of our character traits. And the best, the biggest job we have is to become a human being. And before we become a good Jew, a person's got to be a good human being. How does a person become a good human being? We have to perfect our character traits. What does that mean? And just a few examples. Number one is, as I mentioned, controlling one's temper. It is so, so hard. You know, it says today in the corona age, unfortunately, the corona age, they're all boxed in. And especially when there's a closure, boy, we're talking about having a closure in Israel over the holidays. And a closure is a person stuck in the house with their own families. And, uh, and the rates of spousal abuse go up tremendously. The rates of divorce have gone up tremendously during these periods. And the rates of uh, 
temper tantrums and other mental issues come out the most when a person is locked up in their own house with their own family. And that's something which we have to work on. And maybe that's the reason why Hashem says, you know, maybe you should be locked up today, <laughs> unfortunately. We're locked up with our families to be able to learn how to exist together as human beings. And that was one of the big failures between Adam and Eve. The big failure was that they never communicated properly. Adam did not tell Hava, Eve, uh, the reason for the tree and what exactly the mitzvah was. He says, don't go near, don't touch the tree. Where Hashem says, don't eat the fruit. And he said to his wife, he said, don't touch it. So it was a miscommunication. We have to learn how to get along as human beings. We have to learn how to control ourselves, to control our tempers, to control our desires. So the Rambam says the highest level of teshuva is, the hardest level of teshuva is, Rabbi, we don't hear you. No, but I think you've got on mute now. If we can put on mute. Um, Rabbi, I think you can put on mute. Rabbi? So uh, we, have to, we have to work on our own character traits. We have to work on our tempers. We have to work on competing fairly. We have to work on speaking appropriately. It's interesting. The Torah doesn't say anything about using foul, at least not explicitly. It doesn't say not how to use four-letter words. Where do we learn it from? And the answer is we learn it from one word, Kedoshim to you, be holy. Ramban Nachmanadi says being holy includes a whole gamut of different character traits that the Torah does not even focus on. What does the Torah tell us to keep have good character traits? So there's a few uh, different references. Number one is Kedoshim to you, be holy. He, I, myself, holy, Hashem says. I mean, that's a very high bar, Hashem says. Become holy like me. How does a person become holy? Ramam says, not to eat like a glutton. Not to be overly physical. So a person's only physical, they're not holy. Like Hashem, for sure, Hashem is not physical. So being overly physical, that's, uh, that's the opposite of holiness. Uh, using bad words, that's the opposite of holiness. And these are the hardest things. These are character trait issues. So it's hard to be a Ben Adam, and that's what Rosh Hashanah is all about. To focus on banishing our anger, banishing our infighting, banishing our jealousy, banishing our material traits. That's very hard today. Um, to banish uh, honor-seeking, gava, which is pride, try and banish pride, ego. Um, be a glutton. There's a thing called a kosher pig. Who is a kosher pig? A human being who likes to eat like a pig and he eats kosher food. So that's a kosher pig. So a person's got to work on That's all part of one character traits. Rabbi Israel Salata says, he said, it's harder to change one character trait than to learn the whole Talmud. Now we know today that to learn the whole Talmud, there's a thing called dafyomi. You learn one page a day, you finish the Talmud in seven and a half years. And believe me, it's a very, very hard thing to finish the Talmud because just to learn one page is so much. You got a person going to use to break the head. Usually, they got to uh, really focus and understand what the Talmud is trying to say. So, it's seven seven and a half years to learn the Talmud. He says it's it's easier to learn the whole Talmud than change one character trait, and that's what Rosh Hashanah is all about. Rosh Hashanah is becoming a human being, becoming a better person. Why? Because Adam Harishon failed, and we little Adams. Of try and make up to what he failed at. He failed because of his character trait issues. He failed because of his 
pride and he thought he could be bigger than God and be better than God and he didn't have to listen to God. And uh, that's, the, that's a pride issue. That's a character trait issue. And that's, that's number one on our list, Tishrei. What is number one on our list? Tishrei is a universal holiday. It's not a holiday for, for Jews specifically. It's a universal holiday. And that's when we all have to try and be better human beings. We have to try and live as better human beings, whatever we can do to be better human beings. And uh, the, the Benish Chai says, the worst day to lose one's temper is Rosh Hashanah. The worst day to get upset is Rosh Hashanah. The worst day to be sad is Rosh Hashanah. You know, there's a custom not to eat fish. They want to know the custom not to eat fish on Rosh Hashanah. The Ramah brings down the custom not to eat fish on Rosh Hashanah because fish is dug, and dug is um, abbreviation for the, for the word da'aga. Da'aga means worry. Because it shouldn't worry on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the year, and the beginning of the year, the year starts off on a good note, it will continue on a good note. The year starts off on a bad note, it will continue on a bad note. And therefore he says, how we start the year is very, very critical. How we act together as a family unit, how we act together with our spouses, how we act together with our children, how we act together with other people, on Rosh Hashanah itself is the key to success, to starting off on a good note starting off on a good note. So to be a Ben Adam, to, to follow the Rambam's uh, laws of Deot, uh, but everyone should read Hilchot Deot and the Rambam, the laws of character traits and building good character traits. And those are the most difficult things to do more than any other mitzvah is the mitzvah of fixing one's own character traits. Very, very hard to fix one character trait. It says even harder than to learn the whole Talmud. So that's number one. Number one is to fulfill our human potential. What is our human potential? No one knows what the human potential is. How does a swimmer know how fast he can swim? And the answer is, well, if he doesn't swim fast, he'll never know how fast he can swim. He's got to try his best. He's got to exercise and try their best to, to swim fast. How do I know what my human potential is? Boy, it's very hard to know your human potential. Person's going to strive the hardest in all different areas of their lives to figure out what their potential is. Only God knows what our potential is. And that's uh, the question which God asked Adam Arishon. The question I got asked Adam Rishon is, Ayeka, where are you? I mean, where are you? Of course, Hashem knew where he was. He was the God. That's not the question God was asking him. He's asking, where are you? What have you done with the gifts I gave you? What are you up to in this beautiful garden that I gave you? How are you continuing with our mission in life? Are you perfecting yourself? Are you becoming a better human being? And that's something that we have to, that's number one message of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is a universal day where we all, each one of us, part of the human family, have to try and elevate ourselves as human beings, how to perfect ourselves as human beings. That's number one. One of the anomalies pointed out by the commentators on Rosh Hashanah is nowhere in the Torah is Rosh Hashanah mentioned as a day of judgment. The Torah does not say anything about judgment or justice on Rosh Hashanah. As I mentioned, all the Torah says on Rosh Hashanah is the mitzvah of blowing the shofar, right? Yom Teruah, Yom Teruah, it's a day of, uh, of blowing. It's Zichron Teruah, it's a remembrance of blowing. This year it's going to be as a remembrance of blowing. On Shabbat we don't blow, it's a remembrance of blowing. We're going to say the word Zichron Teruah. It's only through the oral law that the rabbis in the Mishnah and Rosh Hashanah discussed it's a day of judgment. It's a day when Hashem takes stock and makes his allocations and allotments for the coming year. So why does the Torah go out of its way to conceal this fact of the Day of Judgment? It's a very interesting concept. When we know today that's one of the main concepts of Rosh Hashanah is the Day of Judgment, why does the Torah hide it? 
In fact, if we go further in the Torah, if we go into the book of Nehemiah, we'll find a celebration of Rosh Hashanah, which one of the few times the Torah mentions the celebration of Rosh Hashanah in the ancient, ancient Jew, Jewish world. And it was a very tough period for the Jews. It was after the first destruction of the temple. Most Jews were living in Babylon. They were taken into exile in Babylon. And a small number, I think 40,000 Jews, came back with Ezra and Nehemiah to rebuild the second temple. The Persian king gave permission to go back to Israel and rebuild the temple, and 40 or 50,000 came back. And they came back, and uh, they got a tremendous uh, Musad Russia. They got this tremendous Musad Russia. They were all intermarried. They didn't know Jewish laws, and they got this Musad Russia. And it was Rosh Hashanah, and they gathered together. And Ezra was reading the Torah, and they all started crying. It says, from first light until midday, they were listening to the Torah scroll. And then when they heard the words of the Torah, they started crying. Said, we're not keeping the Torah. We're not keeping these laws. We're not fulfilling our mission. Our potential is not being reached. Now we have to remember these Jews were the best Jews in the world. Why? Because they're the ones that came back. Everyone else remained in Babylon in exile. When, and these 40,000 Jews, 40,000, 50,000 Jews came back to Israel. And here now, they're hearing the Torah in Yerushalayim, read by Ezra Sofer. And they're crying because they're not keeping these laws. When Nehemiah saw them crying, Hashem tells them through Nehemiah, Today is sacred to Hashem, it's Rosh Hashanah. Sacred to Hashem, your God. Do not mourn, do not cry. Go and eat rich foods and drink sweet beverages and send portions to those who have not prepared. Now, this is interesting. One facet of Rosh Hashanah that we skip sometimes is this mitzvah, what's called Mishloach Manot. It's interesting, the mitzvah is in Nehemiah of giving gifts to the poor. So it's more like Mishloach Aniim. It's Mishloach Aniim. So something a person's got to do before Rosh Hashanah is give to a sadaqah that supports the poor people. So when I'm eating my meal on Rosh Hashanah, it's not going to be a selfish meal because I already sent money to the poor to be able to have, enjoy their meals on Rosh Hashanah as well. So it's very important to fulfill this as well. But it's interesting because Rosh Hashanah, he tells them, is not a day of crying. Rosh Hashanah is a day of celebration, which is fascinating. Why did the, Rabbi, why did the Torah hide this concept of Yom Adin? Because it, want, it didn't want us to cry on Rosh Hashanah. The Torah does not want us to cry in Rosh Hashanah. It's a day of blowing the shofar. So the question we have is, why is blowing the shofar more important than crying? Why is the blowing the shofar more important than doing teshuvah in a sense by crying? And the answer, I think, is because the, the blowing of the shofar symbolizes something higher. That's what it says. L'shmoa kol shofar. The brach of the shofar is to listen to the voice of the shofar. What is the shofar telling us? So number one we said is the shofar is telling us to wake up. We live not just on a physical plane, we live also on a spiritual plane. A person may have uh, avoided the spiritual plane the rest of the year. Now's the time to arouse themselves spiritually. It's a spiritual alarm clock, as the Rambam says. It's a spiritual alarm clock. But a second idea, the main, one of the main ideas of, of the shofar is, it's a time of anointing of the king. It says when they anointed the king, they would blow the shofar. We see this with Shmuel, when he anointed uh, Shaul, and with the anointing oil, and they blew the shofar. So it's blowing the shofar is a time of anointing of the king. And that's what we're doing. The main work of Rosh Hashanah is, number one, is to realize our potential as human beings. That's number one. Ayom harat olam. Adam was created Rosh Hashanah. Number two is to recognize who is the boss of the world. Who is the king of the world? And that is Hashem. And that's the second job of Rosh Hashanah. That's really one of the, the, the ideas of the shofar, which is its anointing of Hashem. The tour, 
who is the son of the Rosh, Rabbi Yaakov Balaturim, who was uh, uh, interested in the Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher, ran away from Germany. Uh, Germany, as usual, uh, is not a, good, not a very good place for Jews. So the Rosh, his Rebbe, was the Maharam of Rottenburg. The Maharam of Rottenburg was one of the greatest Ashkenazi scholars at that time. And all the Ashkenazi customs came from the Maharam of Rottenburg. So Maharam Rottenburg was taken captive by the German knights and put into one of the castles, and they held him to ransom. And Maharam Rottenburg passed a law which was totally uh, unselfish. He said, no one is allowed to ransom me. Because if the Germans see that they ransom me, they're going to catch all the rabbis and they ransom them off one by one. So that being said, no one's allowed to ransom me. And in fact, he died in, in his castle. So, uh, so he died, he died in, the, in, the, in the jail of the castle. And a few generations later, some rich Jew came and he, and he ransomed the body of the Maharam on condition he's going to be buried next to him. So he's buried next to the Maharam. Go see the great Maharam in Germany. He's buried right next to him. Anyway, so the Maharam had students, and one of the students was the Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher. And Rabbeinu Asher ran away from Germany and ran to Spain. Imagine this great Ashkenazi rabbi, the Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher, runs to Spain. And what do they do with him in Spain? The Spanish rabbis make him the chief rabbi of Toledo. It's very hard to understand. Here's the Rosh, the chief, <laughs> the great Ashkenazi rabbi, becomes the chief rabbi of Spain, one of the chief rabbis of a town in Spain, a very uh, popular town in Spain. And his son is Rabbi Yaakov Balaturim, who wrote the Tur, which was the predates the Shulchan Aruch, the Tur. So the Tur writes, he writes about a Jewish preparation for the Day of Judgment. So we know already the Day of Judgment is an oral law idea. It's not a written law idea. He says, normally, a person who knows he is to be judged wears back black clothing in those days, lets the beard grow unkept, doesn't cut his nails because he's in mourning. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He does so because he is overcome with anxiety, not knowing the outcome of his judgment. Yet before Rosh Hashanah, we follow Nehemiah, what Nehemiah told us to do. We wear white clothing, we trim our hair, we cut our nails, we take a shower, and on Rosh Hashanah itself, we eat, drink, and are happy. So what's going on over here? It's the opposite to a day of judgment. I mean, this is why the, the, the Torah hides this, conceals this idea of judgment. Because he says a very important idea. He says, because we know Hashem will do miracles for us. In other words, Hashem, we trust in Hashem's mercy. We trust in Hashem's chesed. And this is a very important concept on Rosh Hashanah. So number one, we said Rosh Hashanah is a day to live up to our human values and be a good human being. Number two, we said, is that uh, we, have to, we have to recognize God as the king of the universe. And number three, is a new idea is to have trust in God's mercy and God's kindness and knowing that Hashem will give us a good year. Hashem will overcome his judgment and treat us kindly and therefore treat us with miracles and make miracles for us. And that's why we celebrate on Rosh Hashanah. On the day of our judgment, we're celebrating. Why are we celebrating? Because we're trusting. We know Hashem is our father. And that's Rabbi Kiva's invention. And that's the prayer we say on Rosh Hashanah. The prayer of Avinu Malkenu, Avinu Malkenu, our father, our king. Hashem is not just the king of the universe. Hashem is also our celestial father in heaven who loves us. And if we come back to him and we anoint him, and therefore he will treat us with mercy and he'll treat us like a father uh, treats his a child.
And that's number three on the list, which is to trust in God's mercy, to trust in God's kindness, and uh, be- believe in the mercy of Hashem. And that belief in Hashem itself will give us the merits to be judged favorably. Okay. So it's interesting because there's a beautiful parable based on a Zohar. The king of a certain city made it be known that on a certain day he passed through the city. And during his day, his stay in the city, anyone can come and see him and ask for whatever they want. So everyone is preparing their supplications and uh, they're writing down what they want from the king and they can ask for up to three things each from the king. And uh, they went around, they they prepared a very loyal welcome and uh, they all wrote down what they wanted and a huge line formed in front of the king. And the king was very, very generous that day and he gave them all their reasonable requests. One by one, they left the king satisfied However, the king noticed at the back of the room, there was a maidservant and she was watching the lion, but she never approached the lion. So even though the lion was now empty, she never approached the lion. So the king told the maidservant, he says, tell me, he says, why do you stand there quietly when everyone has come and gone, each one got their wishes granted? Don't you trust that I have the ability to grant your desires? Oh no, she said, king, I simply didn't have time to prepare the letter with all my requests. You see, when I heard the king was visiting, I became preoccupied with making sure everything would be ready to receive the king. I had to clean the curtains, I had to fix the carpet, the floor needed to be cleaned, swept and polished. There was so much to do to make sure the city was ready for the king's arrival. I was so busy, I simply not, I never, never got around to preparing my wish list. Today, as I stood before the king, I realized it was too late. Instead, I chose to spend my time in the presence of your highness to see how graciously it dealt with his subjects. The king was glowing with pleasure. He says, my dear, he said, if there's anyone truly deserving of having their wishes granted, it must surely be you. You have put my honor before or else I will give you whatever you want. And that's the key. That's one of the keys to success on Rosh Hashanah is to celebrate the glory of the king. We're celebrating the crowning of the king which is something which Adam HaRishon as the first human being failed to do, to acknowledge God as the king of the world on his first day of creation. And that's something which we have to do. And that's what we blow the shofar. We listen to the voice of the shofar. The voice of the shofar is coronating the king. And we celebrate the coronation of the king with a good meal, dressed nicely. And if we celebrate God's kingship, Hashem will give us whatever we want. So that's one of the themes of Rosh Hashanah is, uh, is celebrating the kingship of God and also of course we start doing Teshuvah 40 days before Yom Kippur and we learn this from Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe Rabbeinu went up Har Sinai 40 days before Yom Kippur and he gets the Torah the second time on Yom Kippur so we start doing Teshuvah 30 days before Rosh Hashanah already as far as we say 30 days Shofar, 30 days before Rosh Hashanah and the process of cleansing the internal cleansing has to go. We started before Rosh Hashanah, so now it's still before Rosh Hashanah. It's still time to do teshuva, and we first got to focus on the teshuva. What is teshuva? So there's teshuva has uh, different meanings. So number one, teshuva is means uh, shela or teshuva. Every great rabbi writes 
a book of shoot, shooting, which is shelot, tshuvot, questions and answers. So teshuva is an answer. Very basically, teshuva is an answer, an answer to the question which God asked Adam. Ayeka, where are you? What are you doing with everything I gave you? What are you doing with your health and your wealth and your, and your children and your wife and your spouse and, and Israel? What are you doing with all these things I gave you? What are you doing? Are you improving yourself? Are you contributing to the world? Are you contributing to the Jewish world? What are you doing with your gifts? That's Teshuva. Teshuva is an answer to the question, the eternal question of Ayeka. Number two, Teshuva means to come back. There's a famous story. My favorite, one of my favorite stories is when I became the rabbi of Etzachim, I had a very important wedding to do. I just arrived in New Jersey and a very important wedding. It happened to be the president's uh, son who was getting married. And I knew nothing about uh, driving in uh, New Jersey. I knew nothing about the roads and the highways. In those days, there was no ways. And you had to rely on a map. And this place was in upstate New York. It was one of the country, country clubs in upstate New York. And uh, to get there, you had to go, obviously, down the New Jersey Turnpike. And it happened to be a turning just before the George Washington Bridge. And it was a Sunday afternoon. And unfortunately, in my haste, as usual, I missed the turning and I arrived at the bridge, the George Washington Bridge. In those days, uh, there were toll keepers and the bridge. And I was, I was beside myself. I said, listen, if I get past on this bridge, I'll never make it to the wedding on time. Imagine this is my first wedding as the new rabbi. I can imagine what they're going to say and what they're going to do to me. Um, and God, I was praying. I never prayed as hard as I prayed at that time. I prayed so hard. Hashem, get me out of here and do a miracle for me. Get me out of here. And I spoke to the tollkeeper. This must be the, the nicest tollkeeper there ever was. And I said, listen, I need to do a wedding and I can't afford to get across this bridge and turn around. I'm going to miss the wedding. Please, can you help me? How do, how do I get out? She said, no problem, sir. I'm going to stop all the traffic on all these tolls. And you're going to take this sharp right, and there's an exit right there. We'll give you a U-turn back to where you need to go. Boy, so that is Teshuvah. Teshuvah is that U-turn. Hashem gives us this opportunity at the 10th hour to make a U-turn in our lives. Whatever person is doing, it's never too late. Teshuvah is this fast, quick turnaround person can do. You know, in our lives, there's nothing worse feeling than, than speeding down the highway the wrong way. I know my experience um, of, uh, you know, even getting off the highway in New Jersey, coming south on the turnpike and getting off at route at uh, the exit nine and then sometimes missing exit nine. Oh, boy, you've got to go all the way down to exit 10. That's a good 20 minutes, 10 minutes there, 10 minutes back. And that's another lesson in life is the haste makes waste. And that, but that's what Teshuvah is all about. Sometimes we're, we're chasing after the wrong things in life. Sometimes we're racing down the road of life, the path of life the wrong way. We're going really fast and we're not careful about anything. And Teshuvah is this ability to turn around. Thank God we have this ability to turn around. Now is the time to turn around in our lives, make a U-turn in our lives and better our lives and become better human beings and better Jews and accept Hashem as our King and, and listen to what He wants us to do. And that's why the people in time in Nehemiah started crying and they were told to stop. It's good they were aroused, but the prophet told them that the arousal should be used to celebrate the day that God brought the world into being and thereby being its king. And the biggest thing we could do on Rosh Hashanah is besides the teshuva, the teshuva should be an internal teshuva. It's interesting. 
there's an extens there's an external teshuva. This is another concept of the shofar. There's an ex internal teshuva and there's external teshuva. The external teshuva is what we do every single day. We beat our chest. At least Friday we say vidui. We beat our chest and we say I, I sinned and I did this and I did that and I did the other. That's a very external kind of teshuva. A person may go through this routine every single day, three times a day, without paying much attention and becoming like a habit, like a rope. But internal teshuva is much more powerful. Internal teshuva is when a person really thinks inside the remorse that has to accompany the teshuva. And that's what's missing sometimes. And that's the secret. One of the secrets of Rosh Hashanah is to have that internal remorse. And that is the, one of the messages of the shofar. The message of the shofar is to rouse that internal cry. The shofar is a very, it's a cry of an animal. It sounds like a cry of an animal, but that's the cry of an embittered soul. The soul is embittered inside and just cries and bursts out crying. It's a time when the glibness of speech is lost with the breaking of the heart, the true breaking of the heart. And that's what should happen on Russian as well, is that the shofar should arouse us internally and give us a true teshuva, an internal teshuva, where a person's heart is broken. We're not allowed to cry on the outside, so it's got to be a totally internal experience. And the shofar's cry is something which arouses us like an animal cry, that internal animal cry which every human being has when they're lost for words. And that's what's meant to be aroused on Rosh Hashanah. So we talked about a few things. Number one we talked about was, it's not just a day for Jews, it's a day for humanity. And it's a message for us to be better human beings. That's number one, to be a better human being. Number two, it's a day of blowing the shofar where we accept Hashem as the ruler of the world. Number three is a day of teshuva, but it's a day of teshuva, which is the internal teshuva. And number four is, is uh, to grow, to fix ourselves uh, in our character traits. And uh, that's what, something we have to do. Now, it's interesting because the rabbis tell us in the Midrash, coming from left field totally, that Rosh Hashanah, many things happen in Rosh Hashanah. It's actually, uh, a lot of women had, the, had the conception of Rosh Hashanah, Sarah, Chana, that's why we read about uh, the conception of uh, Yitzhak on Rosh Hashanah. We read about Chana's conception of uh, Shmuel Hanabi, Samuel the prophet. And, but it's also the day, the rabbis tell us, that Yosef came out of jail on Rosh Hashanah. It's interesting. Why tell us that Yosef HaTzadik was in, in jail in Egypt because of allegedly fooled around with his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, and was thrown into jail for many years, was taken out of jail on Rosh Hashanah itself. Why does the Torah tell us that Yosef was taken out of jail on Rosh Hashanah? What's the connection? What's it trying to teach us? What is this Midrash trying to teach us? And now we know that a prison in those days was, does not resemble any way, shape, or form a white-collar jail in the U.S., right? I'm not talking about even minimum security facilities. I'm talking about even a maximum security prison today in Texas where it's 120 degrees in the summer and where the prisoners are living in eight by 10 cells, cells without air conditioning. They are still living in a Taj Mahal compared to prisons in biblical times. In biblical times, they dug a hole in the ground, dungeon, and they threw the prisoners in. There was no ventilation. There was no sanitation. Literally living in a rack hole. That's what jail was like in those days. Uh, well, the prisoners, the POWs in the Vietnam War, that's where they were thrown. So consider the following. Yosef is in this pit with minimum food, minimum water, no ventilation, no sanitation, 
Who was he with? He was with the dregs of society. He's abused there because everyone knew he was a Hebrew. And he was accused of assaulting Potiphar's wife. And yet something miraculous happened. What was the miracle of Yosef was? Imagine, they take him out of this pit. They put him in front of the most powerful person in the world who asked him for advice. Imagine, imagine the scenario. Here he is in this pit. Imagine, imagine the darkness of the pit. He's got to adjust, his eyes got to adjust. He's filthy, he's disgusting. So okay, so they gave him a bath, they gave him a haircut, they gave him a shave. They dressed him up in the finest clothes, but it's the same day he's in the jail and he comes out to freedom. And then he's asked by the most powerful person in the world about his dream and asked for advice. Imagine today, let's say PTSD, poor fellow, he's, he's got this post-traumatic stress syndrome, he can't talk, he's this. No, they put him out of the jail and he's expected to focus and he's expected to give an answer. That was the miracle of Yosef on Rosh Hashanah. The miracle of Yosef Rosh Hashanah was he was able to quickly adapt to freedom, not just freedom, but quickly to adapt to become an advisor to the most powerful person in the world. So what is the lesson the rabbis are telling us? That overnight, a person can go from being the lowest of the low and almost instantly reach the greatest heights. It's a tremendous lesson for all of us before Rosh Hashanah. That Rosh Hashanah, a person may feel, you know, really down before Rosh Hashanah. What am I? What have I done my work, my life? What have I done? My, my year went by. I did nothing to serve Hashem. And overnight, a person can go from the lowest low of being in the pits to being the highest high, being an advisor to the king. Hashem, being an advisor to the king. So that's what the rabbis are telling us. When Yosef left the prison of Rosh Hashanah, the message they're trying to teach us is that people can feel in prison. They can feel imprisoned by their desires, by the evil inclination, by their troubles. People have so many problems. Look, today, it's so, it's so applicable. We feel like we're in jail. We don't know we're going to be locked down. I mean, in Israel, we're facing a lockdown, national lockdown, that we're not going to be allowed more than 500 meters outside our houses. Imagine. Uh, the, the attendance in shul, like everywhere else, is going to be limited. And uh, so it's, a person feels imprisoned. People have so many problems, weighs them down. They feel literally they're walking around with a ball and a chain. The lesson of Yosef is in a flash. A person go from the greatest depths, as Rabbi Shem, we will go this year, from the greatest depths to the highest highs. A person can rid themselves of their prisoners, of their tormentors, of their captors, and all this can happen in one fell swoop. That's what the rabbis are telling us. When Yosef was taken out of jail, on oh, Rosh we have a potential of getting out of jail on Rosh Hashanah, of going from the lows to the highs on one day. And that's a very powerful lesson for Rosh Hashanah. I just want to finish off with this lesson from Rav Kook. Rav Kook was the first Ashkenazi chief rabbi of Israel. Obviously, there was no Israel yet. It was Palestine. Um, the chief rabbis, the uh, Sfarim had chief rabbis for hundreds of years prior because they were recognized by the Turks. And the British came along. They were... They wanted two chief rabbis, one for the Sephardi, one for the Ashkenazi. So the first Ashkenazi chief rabbi was Rabbi Cook. Rabbi Cook delivered this well-known sermon um, in the old city of Jerusalem on Rosh Hashanah in 1933. Imagine, Hitler was just coming up and uh, his, his uh, rule was becoming much more troubling every passing day. On the other hand, 1933, you have to understand, the Jewish community in Israel was flourishing. Immigration from Central Europe was increasing. Educated immigrants with needed skills, financial means were arriving. They contributed greatly to developing the country's economy. 
it seemed that the steps of redemption could be heard. Imagine 1933 in Israel was a very, very hopeful time. We say in our prayers, we say this every single day, three times a day, blow the great shofar for our liberation. What is the nature of this shofar? Why should it be a large shofar? So it's interesting in halakha, the laws of the shofar are based on the Talmud in Rosh Hashanah. The Talmud discusses the laws of shofar. What shofar should we use? Which is the best animal shofar to use? So, so the rabbis give us three levels of shofar. There are three different levels of shofar. This is interesting because um, only Jews would do this. Every law has minutiae. Every law has details. Every law has levels. So three categories of shofar that may be blown in Rosh Hashanah. The first category, the optimal shofar, is the horn of a ram. And uh, it should be, a, if that horn is not available, then the horn of any kosher animal can be used as a shofar, except for a cow. Because a cow's horn is not called a shofar, it is called a keren. What does that mean? A shofar has two different parts to it, the inside and the outside, and they're two separate materials. It's very interesting. You just pull out the inside, you have the outside material, which is a harder material. The, the soft bone material on the inside can be pulled out, and you have a shofar. Whereas the horn of a cow is one piece. You can't pull out the inside from it. So therefore, the cow horn is no, not, no use for a shofar, not allowed for a shofar. If no kosher shofars are available, then one may blow on any horn, even from a ritually unclean animal. Imagine. When using a non-kosher horn, however, there's no bracha recited. So three levels of shofar. The best shofar is the shofar of a ram. That's the shofar which is used by Avraham Avinu in the, the binding of, of Yitzhak. And he, and he offers up the ram. And the shofar of the ram, one shofar, is going to be used for the Mashiach. In the time of the Mashiach, one shofar was used at Har Sinai. Interesting midrash, midrash, which has to be explained later on. But the preferred shofar of redemption is the divine call that awakens the people through holy motivation. That's what Rav Kook says. Rav Kook says these three shofars represent symbolism of three different acts which arouse the Jewish people. And the, one, the first one is the shofar of redemption. That's the, whole, that's the big shofar. That's the shofar of redemption. Hashem should, should blow the shofar of redemption that people would throughout out of faith in God. That's how he explains the shofar of redemption. Through out of faith in God and the sanctity of the people of Israel awakens them to go back to the Holy Land. That was the inspiring call of the shofar that brought Ramban, Nachmanides, Rabbi Yudah Levi, Rabbi Bartanura, the disciples of the Vulgaon, the Hasid of the Baal Shem Tov, to come back to the land of Israel. It's for that great shofar, a shofar of spiritual greatness, of awakening that we pray for. The second shofar is the shofar of redemption, a lower level of awakening. This shofar calls out to the Jews to come to the land of Israel, to return to the land of our ancestors, the land of our prophets, our kings. It beckons us to live as a free people in our homeland, educate our children in the Jewish environment, and so on. This is a kosher shofar, but it's not a great shofar like the first shofar. But you can still say a bracha on that shofar. It's still a holy shofar. You can still say a bracha on that shofar. However, there's a third kind of shofar, he says, Rav Kook said, with tears in his eyes. Can see the future. The third shofar is an unclean shofar. There's no bracha on the shofar. He said this shofar is the shofar of anti-Semitism, where Jews come to Israel not because they want to come, because of holy ideas, it's because they have to run away from somewhere. So Bezrat Hashem, all of us will listen to the first shofar, the shofar of holiness, shofar of sanctity, which is a, which is calling us to the land of Israel, Bezrat Hashem, and we will all meet together over here. In the land of Israel. So I just want to recap a little bit 
and go back a little bit so people remember what I'm talking about. Number one we talked about is Rosh Hashanah is in Tishrei, whereas our national holiday as Jews is in Nisan. So therefore Rosh Hashanah is not just a day for the Jewish people of awakening and arousal and sanctity. It's, a nas- it's an international day and it's something which we have to spread. Rosh Hashanah is a new year, not just for us, it's a new year for everyone. It's a new year for humanity. It's a day of arousal, a day of awakening, a day of, of coronation of God. And that's what we say in our prayers of Machiot, that Hashem should be metimloch aleinu, merav, merav yameinu, amen. And that's how we end off the aleinu shabayach, that Hashem should be the king of the world. That's number one, is it's a day of arousal for humanity, to make ourselves good human beings. Before we become good Jews, we have to be good human beings. We have to have Derek Ertz. When a person goes to shul, they have to wear a mask. It's very important to wear a mask. Over here, the chief rabbi, the Sephardic chief rabbi, keeps on going on. A person without a mask, he's, he says, like a rodef, he's chasing you to kill you. It's like a, I think it's a little bit of exaggeration. But it's very important to keep these laws, because we don't know who has it. We don't know if we have it. Keep away distance, social distancing, and wearing a mask. And this way, we ourselves will be clean. We're not, we won't be guilty of uh, spreading viruses and, and sicknesses, but Rav Hashem would all be clean. And also, not just physically clean, but also we have to be spiritually clean as well. That's Teshuvah. The sound of the shofar is the internal cry of a human being who's not able to express themselves in words. So on the outside, that's the message of one of the messages of Rosh Hashanah is on the outside, we look good, we dress well, but our hearts have to be broken. Our hearts have to be broken. The cry of the shofar, we have to break our hearts. Number three is the coronation of the king. We eat good food because we're coronating Hashem as the king of the universe. This is the day of his creation of the world. He created human beings in order to uh, give him the respect of being a king of the world. Uh, the Zohar says that Hashem created the world so that someone could address him as the king. Baruch Hashem, Melech HaOlam. He's the king of the world. There's no human beings. No one can address him as the king of the world. So just a couple of lessons from uh, Rosh Hashanah. Hashem, as I said in the beginning, uh, Gemara says, that any year which ends off on a bad note, the next year is going to be a very good year. So Bezrael Hashem, all of us, all everyone around the world, all the Jewish people around the world, and the whole world itself will have a good year, a year of the best kind of shofar, a year of the Amen. and Bezrael Hashem, I'll see you all in person very shortly. Bezrael Hashem, all the best. Amen. Rabbi Leo has a question. Any questions? Leo. Yes. Leo? Yes. You have a question? No, I don't. I just missed the problem. No one has any questions. Everyone have a good night. And it's good to And all the best. We will see you all in person very shortly. Amen. 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 Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.